we are excited to have you with us today at the Baptizing Church out of Zion, Maryland. Come along as we listen to God's Word with Pastor Timi Lane Okwelami. Father, we receive. We receive the better. We receive the better. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's please be seated. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Says that we've been born again not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible. That is the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You know, we've been on this thing called the word. Just been looking at the, the, the ministry of the word, if you could call it like that. On that, still under the broad theme of the new wine, right? We've been looking about that ministry of the word. Last week we spoke about how the word is a seed. The, the, you know, Pastor, Pastor Ayo gave it a, a, a title, an interesting title. He said the seed effect, and I think I love it, <laughs> right? How the word of God is a seed. You look at Matthew 13, which was the text we read last week. We saw the several parables that Jesus put out to explain um, a truth. Started with the parable of the sower. The sower went out, you know, and spread about the seed. And then the seed, of course, fell on four different grounds, produced four different results, and um, gave us explanation in that same chapter as well. He went ahead to talk about the parable of the wheat and the tears. If you remember how one had sown, you know, wheat into the ground, and while men slept, the Bible says an enemy came and sowed in tears. And then they asked that, should we remove the tears? They said, no, don't. That in doing that, you will also remove the wheat with it. So let it grow together. And that in the harvest, he's going to separate, separate that. And he also gave an interpretation to that parable. Just for good Bible interpretation. Parables aren't meant to be interpreted word for word. A parable is a story to pass across a truth. So except, this is just Bible interpretation now, except the Lord the, Jesus himself gave the interpretation to a parable. You don't go around trying to you know, put in certain symbolisms in parables. Because it's a parable. It does not mean that every symbol in it means something. Do you understand? It's like a story. If I is, for instance, I come and say, um, you know, in when we come into church, there could be there could be there are many things inside the church. The chairs, the speakers the lectern, the, 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 the keyboard, the drum, and all that. And then I say, um, it takes someone who has ability and strength to be able to set this up. Now, that's just a similitude, you know. It doesn't mean that you will now start going to everything I mentioned, that, okay, what does the pupils represent? Who is the pupil in the church? Who is the keyboard in the church? Who is the drum? Who is the, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to pass across a message. And what's the message? It takes someone who has strength to set this up. The same thing for a parable too, right? You don't, because people do that, you know, many times. And it's not, for instance, a very good one is the, the, the ten virgins. That's also a parable. The ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. You know, why were they wise? Because they brought extra oil. Why were they foolish? Because they didn't bring extra oil. And I've heard people say the oil is the Holy Spirit. The oil couldn't be the Holy Spirit. Yes, I know oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. But the oil there couldn't be the Holy Spirit. Because if it cooled, it would mean that you can buy the Holy Spirit. Because the foolish virgins went to go and buy extra oil. And you can't buy the Holy Ghost. You can't buy it. So it couldn't be the Holy Ghost. It's not. It's a symbol. The whole story is a story. Meant to pass across a truth. What is the truth? Be ready. Simple. Stay prepared. That's the truth. Don't try to now interpret except the Bible itself gave the interpretation to the parable. Don't try to give exact interpretation to every symbol. That's just a Bible interpretation class. 
Don't worry, it's free of charge. You don't need to pay me. So when, when the Lord Jesus himself spoke about the, the parable of tears and wheat, he gave the interpretation to it. And, you know, in just listening to the message, I noticed that um, I didn't call our attention to that particular portion of scripture. Although I communicated the truth I wanted to bring out, you know, because we mentioned that the word of God is a seed. But beyond that, that you are a seed as well. Because in the interpretation of that parable of tears, right, and wheat, if you come with me to verse 36 of Matthew 13, he says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tears of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. So he gave an interpretation to everything. The person that sows is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, you see, and the tears are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So he gave a full interpretation, a comprehensive interpretation to the parable that he told about the wheat and the tears. And he said, the seed, the good seed, are the sons of the kingdom. They're the sons of the kingdom. So in a sense, the word of God is a seed. We're born again of corruptible seed. First Peter 2, 23. And in the interpretation of that parable, it says the word is the seed. So in a sense, yes, the word of God is seed. But in another sense, you are also a seed. Just like we explained last week Sunday. I'm just trying to recap a little bit on that. You know, you are a seed. And any, everywhere you are, if God's seed is in you, it will produce the same effect. Because another thing we saw all through the parable you know, a common denominator is that there is always that initial, you know, sowing of a seed, that time frame, and that harvest. There's that increase. We also saw the parable of, you know, said the kingdom of God is compared unto a woman who has, you know, three measures put in, yeast into the three measures, and then it, everything just rolls. So we see that if it's God's kingdom, it has to increase. Increase is a part and parcel of the kingdom. Are you still here? Increase is a part and parcel of anything kingdom. It's a part and parcel of God's word. It's a part and parcel of you. Though your beginning is small, the Bible says your latter end shall greatly increase. So increase is something that you can believe for, you should believe for, and it's something that is in God's will. Isaiah 9 says of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there shall be no end. So there's that sense of if it's God's kingdom, if it's God's kingdom, it has to increase. It has to increase. Increase is God's promise to every believer. Increase is part of the characteristics of anything that is kingdom. God's word increases. Acts chapter 19. The Bible says that the word of God grew and it prevailed. It grew and it prevailed. So it can increase. Your knowledge of God can increase. Colossians 1 and from verse 9. That you will be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. In, be fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Fruitful in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's increase there. First Corinthians 15, 58. Steadfast and movable, always abounding. Always abounding. Always abounding. So there is that abounding nature of the kingdom of God. Of God's kingdom. We ought to increase. That's what I'm saying. You ought to get better. That's what I'm saying. Because it is part of God's package. It is part of God's package. It's part of God's package. You ought to do better. And you ought to experience better. Hallelujah. Tell yourself, I'm increasing. I'm increasing. So, we saw that you could implant the seed of God's word into your heart. When you implant the seed of God's word into your heart, how exactly do you give it room to grow? How exactly do you give it room to grow? How does the seed of God's word in your heart, how does it develop? How does it grow? How does it increase? How does it do that? How, you know, when the Bible says in, you know, Acts nineteen twenty that 
God's word grew. How exactly do I make God's word to grow? How exactly do I do that? How exactly do I give, you know, uh, 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 latitude for God's word to increase in my life? At least for one, you will have to read it. I know that looks like a very simple thing that you learned in Sunday school. But you see, there is something called the power of consistency. Consistently pouring the seed of God's word and consistently sowing that seed into your heart. Consistently. Not once in a while, but every single time. Consistently. Consistently. Because many times, we go about thinking because we have a general knowledge of God's word. Because we have that general knowledge, we are good. But the memory of God's word in your head is not the same thing as the life of God in your heart. They're not the same thing. You can have information about the word of God, but what changes things is not information, it's revelation. And you can't steal revelation. You can steal information. You can hack information, but you can't hack revelation. When Peter said you are Christ, the son of the living God, that wasn't information. That wasn't information. You see, because there are several instances and several ways by which you can receive information. When he responded in Matthew 16 to Jesus and said you are Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. So that means flesh and blood can reveal to you. Flesh and blood can tell you things. But the spirit of God can also reveal to you. So you be the judge. Whose report will you believe? Who will you side in with? Because, you know, whose report will you believe? And unto whom has the hand of the Lord been revealed? The people that believe the report of the Lord are the people that see his outstretched arm. Information can be stolen, not revelation. Revelation has to be personal. Revelation has to be yours. Revelation has to be something that the Holy Ghost gave you. And you see, information can only carry you as, you know, just a little far. Revelation is what will pave a way for you. Revelation is what will give you, you know, supernatural enabling. Revelation is what will open doors for you. A revelation. A revelation. Come with me to the book of Acts very quickly. Acts. The very first time that Peter was arrested. I just want to bring out something for us right there. You know, and he was put into, into jail after they had killed James. So Acts 12. Acts 12. From... From verse 5. From verse 5. I was thinking there was one monitor in front of me. Peter was therefore kept in prison. We know this chapter. And constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. You know, I asked myself, how can you be in prison? They just killed your close companion, James. And they now took you and they put you in prison. What kind of liver do you have that makes you sleep? Brother, will you sleep in that kind of thing? One time we were out, myself and Brother, and then. You know, it took some time before he got home. And his wife called me that my husband has not got home. I said, we kind of issues this one. So I call in the husband. The husband, where are you? <laughs> because we left in, you know, in safety. So you should have arrived your home. Right? So, <laughs> Peter was going to be the second person that was going to die. Because nothing happened to James died. So if anything, you should be alive. Open eyes, be praying, pacing the ground, pray in tongues, do everything that you can. But then he was sleeping. And I just, I thought to myself, why exactly was he sleeping? I just had that thought. And then you know what? 
Come with me to the book of John. Sorry, Luke rather, not John. Glory to God. I want to just... I want to open up something to you. Luke chapter 20, 21. Luke chapter 21. Why exactly was Peter sleeping? Why exactly was he, was he like that? How, what kind of faith did you have that made you just relax like that? That made you just feel free to sleep? So much so that if, if you go back to that same time, so much so that the angel appeared and the angel had to beat him to wake him up. That wasn't light. That wasn't a light nap. That was deep sleep. And not only was it like that, he was even sleep walked. Because when they got to town, the angel like disappeared. He was like, oh, I thought it was a dream. So what kind of faith made Peter to be able to do that? Knowing fully well, it's almost like they tell you, for instance, that yesterday, maybe you are going to your village in the east or something. And they tell you that, oh, they've been kidnapping, you right? You know, there are people that are kidnapped every day. And because of that, I know some people haven't left their house. Else, anything happens, right? And then you are supposed to travel to your village the next day. And you heard the day before that, you know, robbers raided their place, blah, 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 blah. What, what will you do instinctively? You will just call the villagers that, I'm sorry, trip postponed. Which makes sense. But imagine having the news and still going on the road and still sleeping on the road. Even if you go on the road, instinctively, what will you do? You will not be praying. We rebuke all blood-sucking demons. All my people from the village, we rebuke you. Nothing shall happen. It's, I'm just trying to paint a picture to make you see how Peter shouldn't have been sleeping. You didn't have any reason to sleep. So come with me to look. Let's look at Luke. Luke chapter 22. From verse, what verse should I pick that up? Where Jesus told Peter that when you are strengthened. Verse 31. Verse 31. Um, okay, let's just start from verse 31. And the Lord said to Peter, this was Peter, God speaking to Peter. There's, there, had some, there had been you know, a conversation between them. And then in verse 31, he said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He said, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He says, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the roses shall, shall not crawl this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And, he's, and he said to them, when I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has money, a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. If I said to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me, and it was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. There's a particular portion I'm looking for that I haven't gotten to. Hallelujah. You know, he had spoken to Peter that when he, when, you know, I'm going to pray for you that your faith should not fail. And that when you return, you should strengthen your brethren. Right? And then he also prophesied to him and said that when you are old, right? He said someone is going to lead you. If you could help me find that scripture. When you are old, someone will lead you by the, by the hand. Perhaps that is in John. He's in John, right? John 21, okay. Thank you. So if you could come there together, let's look at it together. John 21. And verse what? All right. Okay, this is training. Thank you. John 21, 18. Okay. 
All right. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. He says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, why was Peter sleeping? Because God has spoken this word to him. And he wasn't yet old. He wasn't yet old. Information is that, according to James, is most likely that's exactly the way you will go. The way your brother died. And it was you, James, and John that were the closest to Jesus. So there was no special anointing that James had that you were going to say that's going to save you. But guess what? He had a word. Something had been spoken to him. He must have remembered that Jesus said, when you are old, I'm not yet old. I'm not yet old. So what, even if you kill me, I'll resurrect. That is the worst that will happen. What is that? That's revelation. That's not info. That can't be information. Information can't give you that level of boldness. Information can't give you that level of effrontery. It has to be a revealed thing unto you. It has to be a word unto you. So what I'm saying, I'm trying to compare that. We need to go from just being informed about the word, just having the word as memory, to going a step further, to having the word as a revelation in your heart. For instance, now, you can know that, of course, even if I ask you, you would respond and say, yes, that God can protect you know, God, God, we have you are surrounded with angels and all that. That is information to the head. That won't do anything until you know within your spirit that there is a protective measure around you. There is an edge around you. You are impenetrable until it becomes light and revelation in your spirit. It won't spark up a light. It won't. It took spark of a light. You know, some, many times when we, we, you know, when we talk about faith sometimes, we talk about faith as something that we need to bring to the word. You know, we, we say, you know, mix the, your faith with the word, mix the word with faith and all that. And we ask you to believe and all that. Do you know that, especially in the New Testament, believers, Christians were not encouraged to have faith? That sounds like what are you saying? But I meant exactly what I just said. We were not encouraged. There is no scripture that tells you that, you know what, you know, you need to have faith. That exhorts you to having faith. We, have cre- we created that doctrine for ourselves. And it has become like a barbed wire entanglement that doesn't allow us to go beyond a particular space. The Bible refers to you as a believer. Have you ever heard of encouraging a believer to believe? You are a believer. It's your default status. So, faith is not something that you now say, ah, God's word, let me bring my faith. Mm. Faith is something that the word of God does to you. You don't get it. Faith is not that, okay, let me bring faith. And let me bring it to the word. As I'm bringing it to the word, right? Uh, I will now mix it with it. Faith is like, what happens to you when you jam, jam a trailer? You don't, nobody needs to pray for the natural way things are. If a car collides with a trailer, what will happen? The car will be crushed. Good. That's a very good explanation. What happens to you, that effect on the car? Is what happens to you when God's word comes at you. Faith is the natural gift of God's word to you when you hear it. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Let's go there. Don't worry. You know, um, I'm a stickler for the word. And I won't tell you something that is not in the word. And give you scripture for. Ephesians 1 13. He said, in him you also trusted. Did you see that? Another way we can say it is this. In him you also believed. Right? We can say it like that way, right? Come on, respond to me. Can we say it that way? He said, in him you also trusted. So we can say, in him you also believed. 
or in him you had faith. When did you have this faith? After. Not before. After you heard. After you heard. When you hear what God's word does to the hearer of it is to give faith. How did you have faith to be born again? You heard the gospel. You didn't have faith to be born again outside of the word. That's why the Bible says that God's word is the one that gives faith. Faith cometh. Romans 10, 17. By the hearing, hearing, hearing. Faith is not something that you try to come with so that you can believe. Uh-uh. Faith is the natural effect. When you pour water on your body, you will have to be wet. Isn't, you don't need to pray, God, make me wet right now. As I pour this water on my body. No. You stay in the word of God. It will generate that thing inside you. It will generate it. If you say, oh, I don't have sufficient faith to do this. It's because you don't have sufficient word yet. You don't have full persuasion. You don't have full persuasion. If God's word dwells in you richly, the effect is faith. The effect is faith. It's faith. It's faith. That's the effect. So it's not something that you say, you know, because some people get into that entanglement that, you know, I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to believe. You are, you, you are making it more complex for yourself. You are, don't try to, don't try to believe. Leave the believing. Leave it. What you should focus on is the word. You get the word and leave the believing part. The word will initiate that believing inside you. That's what the word will do. That's what the word will do. It will initiate. So if you are full of the word, right? You will be full of faith. That's what I'm saying. If the word dwells in your spirit long enough, the only time, right, you, you know, that faith doesn't come is if God's word is not dwelling in your heart. Is if that seed hasn't been planted in your heart. If that seed is in your heart, the effect of the seed of God's word in the life of believers is that it will help them to believe. In Mark 11, Jesus told the disciples that have faith in God. And he could tell them to have faith in God because they didn't have it in the sense that in which we have it now. Because Jesus had not really died. Right? So, in a sense, he could tell them, have it. And there are two meanings, two broad meanings that it, that could produce. He could tell them, have it, because it didn't. But he could also tell them, exercise the God kind of faith. You know, when you tell someone, for instance, have some patience. It's not because the guy doesn't have it. You are telling him, exercise it. Calm down now, have some patience. So when God told the disciples, have it. See, God is not telling you under the new covenant to have faith. You have faith. If you are a believer... Your default status is faith. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I need to establish, if I can get this established properly, that's, and my job is done here today. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It says, for what communion has um, Unequally with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? It says, What communion hath light, right? With darkness. It says, What concord or what accord hath Christ with Belial? It says, What agreement has a believer with an unbeliever? God's word refers to you as righteousness. Right? An unbeliever as unrighteousness. It went ahead and referred to you as light. The unbeliever as darkness. Are you still with me? It goes ahead and it refers to you as Christ. That may surprise you, but you are Christ. You know Christ is not the surname of Jesus. It was his office. The Bible refers to you as Christ. That is an anointed person. Someone who is anointed. That's what Christ means. But then he went ahead and then he refers to you as what? Believer. Believer. Why will he refer to you as a believer? Because you have the ability to believe. 
You have the ability to believe. You are a believer. You are a, that's your status. Every believer has faith. It took you faith to come into the family of God. Now that you are in the family of God, all things are yours, faith included. Romans chapter 3. I speak to everyone by the grace given to me, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of himself soberly. As God has dealt with every man the measure of faith. Romans 12, 3. He has dealt, he has communicated, he has given to everyone among you. Not everyone among, among you know, in the world, right? Because everyone in the world does not have faith. Because they're not all believers. They've not all received Christ. But to everyone that is among you, among you who? Among you believers. Romans 12, 3. Among the believers. Among the believers. Because he was writing to the Roman church. He was writing to the Roman church. So in the Roman church, he was speaking to Christians. So when he said that, I speak to every man among you, he was talking to believers, not those who are not believers. And he said to everyone among you, that what? That God has dealt with to every man, the measure, the measure. Every single person, as, as soon as you came into Christ, you received a measure of faith. How did you get that measure of faith? By the word of God that was communicated to you. We saw that in Ephesians 1.13. In whom you trusted. After you heard the word of the salvation. That is the gospel. The word of truth. That is the gospel of the salvation. And you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you believed because you heard. Romans 10, 13. That whosoever shall call upon his name. Shall be saved. And then he went ahead. He said how shall they call. On him. Of whom they have not believed. And then he said, how shall they believe on whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then it is in that context that he now said in verse 17, that the word of God comes by, the faith comes by hearing and hearing. So if you've heard the gospel, if you've heard the word, it will give you faith to believe. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. He says, we having the same spirit. He didn't say we about to have. Or we trusting God will have. He said we are having the same spirit of faith. The same spirit of faith that Caleb had, Joshua had, David had. That scripture was from Psalm, Psalm 116. That same spirit of faith, we have it. We have it, we have it, we have it. So it's your default status. You are a person of faith. There is nothing too big for you to believe. Oh, damn. Lord, help me. (laughs) There is nothing. See, the greatest thing that you could have believed for is salvation. Because that was the thing that cost God the highest amount of power. Hmm. That was what cost God the highest amount. The Bible says the kind of power he used. They look for different kind of adjectives to have to, to, have to complement that power. He said it is exceeding. Exceedingly. Greatness. Of the power that is at work in you. God demonstrated the highest power he ever did in resurrection. And so if you could believe for that salvation. That is, there is nothing you want to believe for. Right, that will trump salvation, that is greater and bigger than salvation. That is why in Romans, in Romans 8, the scripture now says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not also? What was he doing? He was making you see that look, if I could demonstrate love, demonstrate power to you in giving you this, he said, There is nothing else that your faith can pull. There's nothing else your faith can pull. Things money can buy and things money can buy. There is nothing else. You are a believer. Some say I'm trying to believe. You're not trying to believe. Just believe. Just act on the word. Just just act on the word. Don't try to believe. Get the word inside you sufficiently enough and act on it. Out of full persuasion. Act on it. Act on it. Act on it. In Romans 4, the Bible was talking about Abraham. 
from verse 17, the Bible says, As unto whom we believed, that is God, who quickeneth the dead, and calls those things that be not as though they were. Verse 18 says, And be not weak in faith. He considered not his own body. Right? Being dead, being a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He said, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He said, it staggered not at the promise through unbelief. He says, but was fully persuaded. See, there is that full persuasion that you need. And the way you get that full persuasion is not by any, it's not by praying. It's by refilling your heart with the word of God. Look, if you can find God's word concerning anything, any subject, situate your case within the broad context of God's word. If you can do that and stay on God's word, keep putting in God's word, keep putting in God's word, keep putting in God's word, it will by itself bring about the faith you need for that situation. It will bring about it. Whatever kind of situation. I need my business to grow. Go and find God's word on increase. Go and find God's word on increase. You know, someone was sharing with me some situations, you know, that, you know, the person was in, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, when I did that, because I noticed the person was a little overwhelmed by the situation. I just had to, you know, put some hope in her, you know, put some hope, you know, just try to generate some hope in the person that, you know what, this thing is almost like the way we're doing this morning. This thing is possible, you know, we can have a solution. Let me just say, they take a side journey to this. You know, the Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for. If you do not have hope, there's no how faith can come. If you're already hopeless about the situation, there's no how we can get you into faith. That's not how we can get to in the faith. So what should you do? If you're communicating with people or even yourself in certain situations, the first thing to even, first of all, acknowledge is that, look, a reversal is possible. This thing, it can be done. Now, that's hope. That, look, it can be done. Forget it. Yes, I know this is a story this person heard. Yes, I know this is a story that other person heard. Yes, I know that your mother's mother's auntie had diseases. You know, this one had that disease. I know people have died. I know, I know all that. But look, through the Bible, we see that there is a possibility that this thing is reversed. That's hope. But then, we now have to go from hope. Hope is knowing that it is possible. Faith is knowing that it is possible for you now. Do you see the difference? Faith is that this thing, it's not just that it is possible. It is possible for me. Matthew 8, a leper came to Jesus and said, look, if you are willing, you can make me whole. Let's open our Bibles. This Bible study. There's no projector. Open your Bible. Because the way some people look at me is I is like, eh, that's the leper in the Bible. Ah, ah, eh. Yes, he's in the Bible. So Matthew 8. It's even good that there's no projector for now. <laughs> Go away. Matthew 8. Verse 1. It says, when he had come down from the mountain and great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So this guy had hope. What was the hope? You can make me clean. I know. That's hope. But he didn't have faith. What was the faith? Are you willing? Faith starts where the will of God is known. If you cannot properly establish and convince yourself with full persuasion that God is willing for me to have this now. Notice my emphasis on now. <laughs> if you cannot convince yourself about that, right? You have not yet crossed into that space where you are actively believing for it. You are still hoping for it. So this man had hope that yes, you know, you can make me clean. But I don't know if you are willing to do it. I don't know if you will do it. I've heard that you've opened a blind eye. So I know you can. I've heard that the woman with this your blood touched you. So I know you can. 
I heard that you've cast out you know, demons with your words. So I, I know you can. But I don't know if because I didn't pray yesterday, you'll be willing to do it for me. I don't know if I didn't give my tithe last month. So I don't know if you'll be willing to do it for me. When I was in office, I changed a particular number. So I don't know if you will be willing to do it for me. The way I got these HIVs that I fornicated. So I don't know if you'll be willing to do it for me. Are you here? So I don't know if you'll be willing. I don't know if you'll be willing. But guess what? You know, Jesus didn't say, what, 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 what did you do yesterday? Before we get, before I even heal you. I can't. You are right, I can't. But what did you do yesterday? How much have you given to this project? How much have you given to the project? Bogosia has been transiting. Your own, your own quota there has been 1,000 naira. And see your salary. Go with us. That sickness will remain on you. Oh, we are not healing anything. No healing for you today. Did you notice that throughout the Gospels, there wasn't one occasion of Jesus even bringing their, anybody's past? Does it mean they were all good? Did you notice? He never, everyone that asked, they received. Even the one to whom didn't pertain the bread of the children. It wasn't hers. It's the bread of Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's for, it's for the children. It's for the children. She still he said, ah, children, children, they drop, they drop crumb. Right? It didn't bring out, is it that they are all good? Tell me. Is it that? No, it's not that. It's not that. It's not that at all. It's not that at all. Is that his mercies are over all his works. His mercies are over all his works. And that is why you can't earn it. Whether by good deed or by bad deed. Now we are talking about the bad. That okay, because he did that, he didn't own this. You know some people now feel, okay, now that I have done this, I ought to now have this. See, you and that other person, you are in the same class. You now feel because I have prayed 10 hours. So now I ought to get this promotion. Who told you 10 hours of prayer is equal to promotion? No. Promotion is by grace. Simple. So whether by good or by bad deed. You see because Jesus debunked that. When he told us the story of those two sons. One was a bad guy. Took, squandered everything. Did anything that he loved. That he wanted to do. And after I had finished, I'm not coming back home. Well, you fall for go and sleep inside jail. And it's when he came from afar off, the father didn't even allow him to come. From afar off, got down, ran to meet him. Notice this man was a rich man. That's demeaning. At least for, for, for swag, allow him to come. Imagine neighbors, don't they even be telling you that this guy is stupid? Do you know since when this guy has gone, he's now he's still running to go and meet him because he had servants, he had hired servants. And they have enough to eat and, and to leave. Went, ran. Said, go and bring the gambling. The, that one that he said that would bring it. Said, that's the ring. You will go open it, you gave them the lock because the ring cannot be anywhere. So open the safe, bring it out. Bring it. You see that calf that we've been keeping that I wanted to use for December? Bring it. Bring it. Let's make a party. The, see, the father didn't even allow him to go through all his, all his, you know, what he wanted to say. All his recital. He didn't even, he didn't even, he didn't even do that. And he showered him like that. And then the older son came. And said, ah, it's today I knew that you are wicked. So, you see, whether you are the young son or you are the older son, this is what I'm saying. Everything is available to you. Now, am I saying that just sin all you can? No, continue to sin, not sin. God day. God forget, just do anything you can. If you can do anything you can, then you need to respond to an altar call that I will give afterwards. Because you're not a believer. You cannot be a believer and you will wallow in sin and be convenient. If you did, it wasn't Jesus you received. 
Not Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus of Oyingo. But definitely not the Christ. You didn't receive him. Because the grace that we receive teaches us to say no. To sin. To ungodliness. To lust. To corruption. To everything. So if you can conveniently do all of that, you didn't receive the grace. You didn't receive the grace. What I'm saying is, don't bring your past. Let him who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives without upbraiding, without reproach, without fault finding. Without fault finding. So God won't say, hey, let's open the books. Now you need me, you're not coming. No. No. He won't do that. And you shouldn't also bring about your success in the secret place. And say, because I've done this, this must happen. God teaches pastors that and ministers that a lot. A lot. Where you think, I don't pray. I prayed all night. Man, do balasha. Power will move. Watch. Hey, just watch. I heard there. Yeah, I, 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 was, I, I was sweating blood in the place of prayer. And you will come. Everybody will be looking at you like, what are, what are you saying exactly? I'm talking from experience. And then... <laughs> You will not, you will just say, Father, oh Lord, I'm just tired. But I just trust, I just trust you. Oh God, I just, I don't even know what to say right now. But God, just minister in your power. And you didn't, you now saw different things happening in the meeting. You wonder, ah, what is happening? God is calling your attention that, look, it's not of works. Lest any man you should boast. It is, I'm the one doing this thing. See, your faith does not, does not, your faith does not create something that grace already didn't make available. Everything your faith can latch on is because grace already made it available. So it's not your faith that necessarily made it available. Ah, It was there by grace. So you need to celebrate the grace that brought it first. He said, I got a car. We buy Billy. Ah, Amy, our new faith gone. We, ah, we brought, I brought the job. You brought the job. And you will stay on that job. That's the last job you will receive. You didn't brought anything. Grace, grace, grace brought it. Grace brought it. Grace brought it. Grace brought it. It's not what I did or what I didn't do. It's not because I fasted 40 days and 40 nights. No. People were shocked when Kennedy again said with his mouth that the longest he has ever fasted was three days. People wanted to die. I'm like, eh? 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 Say, what? What? What did he say? He said, the longest I've ever fasted without food is three days. I've gone on months, said he has gone on months, weeks, just taking one meal in a day. But that's, I said, what? That by the third day, I got my answer and I quit. Every single time. Every single time. Now, am I trying to put down fasting? No, no. I'm trying to sh- reshape your mind. Now, look, it's not by I fast, I pray. It's not by I pray 25 hours. It's not by I did that, I need that. Now, you want to do all of that in faith, right? But look, that is not what to bring it. Who told us that 25 hours of prayer is equal to opening of one blind eye? Which prayer did Peter and John pray before they healed the man and they get beautiful? They were going to pray. They had not prayed. They were going for prayer. They were going for prayer. Your status is the supernatural. Just like that. The seed, the incorruptible seed is in you. You are a person of faith. First Peter 1. He said, we have obtained to them that have obtained like precious faith. Not to them that are about to obtain it. You are a person of faith. You are a person of faith. You are a person of faith. A trouble comes to you. I am not saying, ah, before this trouble, eh, let's, let me tell pastor to join me in prayer. And then, if I will tell all the pastors to join me in prayer. And then, I will fast for 25 days. Look, there is a place where, where prayer is actually a demonstration of doubt. There are times when prayer, you think it's faith. Mm, it's not faith. You are, you are trying to, you are, you are, it's called multitude of words. 
you are trying to get God into the notion of perhaps, probably, we will find with you to be able to do this unto you. Who knows that? So you are just using energy to be able to get the supernatural to move. There's, you can stay in that space. But that's not a space to stay in, stay in. That's not a place to be in. You first of all need to recognize that, look, we have gained access into grace. Wherein we stand. That's where we are standing. That's where we are living. In grace. In grace. Grace made it available. Grace made it available. So your faith is not trying to get, obtain something that grace already didn't make available. Stop trying to use all your energy to fast into it. So there's a place where your prayer can be a demonstration of doubt. Jesus got to the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus didn't say, oh, everybody, please bow your knees with me. Join me now. We are about to raise Lazarus. Oh, and his father is dead. Oh, he was even sick before he died. Oh, do you know Jesus didn't pray? You know, do you know he didn't pray? Do you know he didn't pray? He just said, because of your six. said, I'm saying this because of their six. Say, Lazarus, come out. Until you can know that your default status is of faith. There are certain things that won't happen. When Jesus was going, you know, it's just, it just a revelation that popped up to my heart. Just, I was just reading Mark 11 again. And I just, it just, you know, the Holy Spirit just whispered to my heart that, look, do you know, I wasn't, it wasn't planning to do a faith seminar there. It wasn't planning that, okay, I will speak to the fig tree. I'm bringing my real power. I will now tell them I'm, I'm doing that. I'm doing. The, he, he, Jesus was also hungry. He was tired. If you read it in context, he had been to Jerusalem. He, had, he went there, and then he came back to Bethany. When they were going out to, back to Jerusalem, he saw a fig tree. Perhaps he didn't eat the night before. He was hungry. He had figs. He had lizard and thought that, okay, there'll be figs on it, there'll be fruit on it. He came and didn't meet fruit. And like, in fact, it may have been out of anger, Seth. It was more out of anger than out of it. I'm like, what kind of, what's this now? He was, have you ever been hungry before? And you know, someone told you that, food day, food day, just they come. And then he reached, say, ah, nah, you don't finish. Ah, I'm not saying, see, they come. You know, network wasn't good. I didn't know that it was still coming. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like a skit I watched, you know, one time. You know, two people were taking Gary, and then someone was just bringing a plate of rice. And was just, when they saw, apparently all three guys were hungry. When they saw plates of rice, they were like, ah! One just threw his Gary away, put the plate on the bench. As one wanted to sit on the bench, just kick the bench. The plate just, the one that still had his own plate of Gary, just... That's went. <laughs> he was hungry. And then he said, no man eat fruit of ye after. He wasn't even looking out to go and check. Go and check. Go and check. You know, the devil whisper to, 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 to you. Go and check. It, it, it has not happened. Go and check. It has not happened. I need to go and check. You can look and look at it. Has it happened or not? There was a situation of robbery somewhere. And then I was in that space and my car was parked outside. Someone, they had robbed someone's car. And then my car was parked outside. In the night, just before sleeping, the devil just told me that, go and check whether you lock the gate. <laughs> go and check whether you lock the car. I was going to go. Ah. I just realized, no, I'm not checking. I am not checking. Because I had already spoken a word that no evil befalls me. Neither does any play come near my dwelling. Trying to check to see is doubt. That's doubt. You pray that you'll be healed. And then they say, check, check, check. I'm not checking. I am healed. I am not healed because the symptoms have disappeared. Many people base their healings on symptoms. No. 
No, no, no. It's not the symptoms. You, before the symptoms came, you were healed. Now that the symptom has come, what are you doing? You are standing in faith and you are resisting. You are resisting. Do you see? So, don't be in it. Jesus didn't even check the victory. He just spoke. and was. It was Peter that was like, eh? <laughs> I know what the Bible says when he said it, his disciples heard it. So, they knew that, okay, let's, I'm sure Peter and I said, eh, we did it. We are coming back to come and sleep. We'll check this thing. The next morning when they were going, he was the one that said, eh, the fig tree that you cursed, it had dried. I'm sure it was Jesus. It was him that called Jesus' attention to that. Oh, eh, ah, before. Said the word worked. It worked, oh, it worked. It worked eh, before. You should be more surprised I didn't work. It, why, wouldn't it, why wouldn't it work? It's supposed to work. It's, it works. And we put it to work. So it has to work. Jesus now said, eh, okay, the way we did this, is we have faith in God. If you say, and then it went on and on. What am I trying to say? Your default status is of faith. Is of faith. Is of faith. If you come. Now, there are, there are two kinds of unbelief. Let me quickly just go there and I'll shut. I'll, 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 be, I'll be done for today. There are two kinds of unbelief that people generally demonstrate. The first type of unbelief is an unbelief that is a product of ignorance. That is, you don't have God's word settled in your heart. You don't have God's word for it. You don't know. My people perish for lack of knowledge, right? That's the first kind of faith. Ignorance. Ignorance. But then, there is a kind of faith where, a kind of unbelief rather, that many believers demonstrate. This one is unpersuadableness. It's not an unbelief based on doubt. You know. It's not that you don't know. You know. But you have not yet been persuaded to the point of action. You've not been persuaded. Hebrews, Hebrews 4. That was what these guys demonstrated. When the Bible says, you know, the promise from verse 1, therefore, since the promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Just for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word we they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Just for we who have believed do also enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. For he had spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6, please pay attention. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Notice he said because of disobedience. In the first verse, he said they didn't enter into that promise because they didn't mix faith. So the faith he's talking about was actually disobedience. They didn't act. God told them, this land is yours. So they had the word of God for it. They were not ignorant of what was there. But they allowed their senses, the information they got from the sense realm, to overwhelm what God told them. So there is a faith that is, is, is there because you don't have a knowledge of it. There is another kind, sorry, there is a kind of unbelief, I'm saying faith. Unbelief, I mean, I'm talking about two types of unbelief. There is an unbelief that you have because of ignorance. There is another kind of unbelief that you have not necessarily because you don't know, but because you are not yet fully persuaded to the point of action. What do you do? You meditate. You keep on meditating. You keep on putting the word. It, they both have the same solution. Keep on putting the word. Keep on putting the word. Keep on putting the word. Jesus went to his hometown. He could there do no mighty work. Mark 6, except lay hand on a few sickly folk. And then the Bible says in verse 7, he said he went about in their villages and synagogues teaching. Why? Why did he resort to teaching? Because that's the cure to unbelief. He could there do no mighty work. So he started teaching. He started teaching. He started teaching. So how do you cure unbelief? Keep putting in the word. 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 Keep putting it on the word. The word does not have a side effect for overdose. Keep putting in the word. 
it will get to a point where it, it is the word that will set you on your feet. It is that life in the word, that faith that you got from the word that will set you up on your feet. That will set you up on your feet. Can we rise to our feet this morning? So grace makes it available. And God's word in you, that incorruptible seed in you, is what will make it alive. Alive. Hallelujah. We believe you've been blessed by God's word today. Do connect with us on all our social media platforms at TBC Out of Zion. And listen to our messages at www.soundcloud.com forward slash TBC Out of Zion.